Welcome, everybody. Today is the conclusion of our reboot series about addictions, about this letter to the church in Colossae. And Paul just ends with a, a flurry of ideas, well, really, actually, with the values and the virtues of Jesus Christ, really making it clear. So he starts this letter by saying in verse number 18 that Jesus Christ is first above all things. All kinds of words are used in different translations for this. They pretty much mean the same thing. Supremacy, he's premier, Jesus premier, like he is above everything else. You know, think about this. What Paul is saying, and we have to decide where we stand on this, that he's saying Christ's way is the best way. Kind of like what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to ask ourselves, because he's saying that as an objective statement. In other words, that's a fact. But we have to take a step back and say, hey, is that your opinion? Is that a subjective statement, Paul? Or are you saying that's just a fact? So let's work our way through this message today and the words that Paul says. And let's just, let's weigh it on that scale. Let's try to decide what's going on here. What is the obvious truth and what is kind of left up to interpretation? What's really being said here? So here we go. Uh, we're going to start at the beginning of chapter three. And this is what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Far too often we have thought when we read that, or at least I have thought that, oh, well, God's telling me here in this scripture that I should really be thinking, thinking about heaven. But what actually is being said here is that I should view the world through the perspective of Jesus Christ through the perspective of Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, who is ruling and interceding for me, that I should look at other people. It really makes us think about, at the beginning of the Bible, Noah. So we're told that the whole world was filled with bloodshed, and that there was all this wickedness and violence was going on, and then God says, hey, Noah, basically, remember, you're creating the image of God, and so is your enemy. So what's Paul setting up for us is, is this human nature way versus Jesus's way. So Jesus looks at people, even our enemies, and says, look at them through the perspective of the eyes of heaven, through the eyes of Jesus Christ, right? Pray for your enemies, love your enemies. That's really hard to do. That doesn't come natural to me or anybody else that I know. So he's setting up this big conflict right in the beginning. And the reason we call this the Reboot Series is we want to power down our, our way of doing things and we want to power back up Christ's way of doing things with a whole new operating system that we would be full-fledged followers of Jesus Christ. That's the whole symbolism and the power of baptism, that we would have God's perspective and that we would power down our human way. So Paul gets really clear about that in verse number five. He says, put to death. So we need to put to death, and there's a symbolism of baptism. We need to power down, put to death, and then he's going to give us a list of things that we need to power down about that happens to be human nature throughout all history. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, human nature. And then here comes the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I'll stop right there. All of these are sins of over-desire. 
All of these are where people are taking advantage of somebody else, mistreating somebody else, because that's what they want. They have a thirst for it. And we all know, all throughout recorded history, right up till today, we struggle with this, and it causes tremendous pain in our world. And then in verse number six, he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We're not always comfortable with the wrath of God. Matter of fact, we're a little bit fickle about it. A lot of times, and I say this to myself, I don't like hearing about a God of wrath. And then something really terrible happens in the world that bothers me. And I say, where is God? How come God's not dealing with this? So, so I'm not into a God of wrath. And then all of a sudden something happens and I really want the God of wrath. And I'm saying, God, why aren't you coming with your wrath? So we have to put this in perspective. We're going to talk about a lot about wrath in just a second, but I want to break and we're going to go to this interview. Dr. Lemke really does a great job today of helping us understand how the words of Paul, how the truth of the Bible and science all come together around the area of fulfillment, about us having meaning in our life and she is saying to us here that the science shows that we need to push into the things that are actually painful that we should reject things that are a quick fix that are self-gratifying that those things actually that we reach the easiest for lead us towards a place that we really don't want to go well, you know, the world is full of these distractions and titillations and immediate gratifications, but in the long run, none of those will satisfy. What we really need to do is to stop and face the things that we're afraid of, face the things that are painful, do the things that are hard. And when we do that, when we stop running, it's really fascinating how there's kind of like a relief that comes with that. It's like, okay, I'm not going to pretend I can outrun this thing. I'm going to actually look hard at this thing and dive deeply into it. And in doing that, we can qualitatively change that experience. I, I find that really fascinating and really, really important. So whether it's something you're afraid of or something you're bored by or something that irritates you, take another look at it, right? Don't distract yourself away from it. Really immerse yourself in it. And it will change its contours as you do. And it will become rich and interesting and a friend, mm. an interesting a companion. Mm. Um, I think that's really, really fundamental. Is there one last thing that you would like to say to us that could help us live a balanced life in a world that there's so many things that we can become addicted to? Um, yeah. How can we live the life that we truly want to live, a life that is mm -hmm. free? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, the church sounds amazing. I love the the slogan, a church for people who don't go to church. That's a church that I, I would want to go to. Um, you know, I what I'm trying to do is reframe our orientation on pain. We really have this idea that pain is dangerous and that we need to escape pain. But what I'm trying to get people to see is that pain and pleasure are relative. They're, they work in relation to each other. So if you are unhappy or struggling or, or depressed or anxious, it will be your instinct to reach for something to instantly take that feeling away. But what you might try instead is to paradox yourself and instead do something in that moment that is more painful than the pain you are feeling now. 
And if you can make it an embodied or physically challenging or painful thing, even better, because we're so detached from our bodies, we're, we're sort of these floating heads. And what you will do is you will actually, if you succeed in doing that, you will actually change your physiology and upregulate dopamine and other feel-good neurotransmitters. And you will be relieved of your suffering because you did something that was hard. Well, Dr. Lemke has been an absolute pleasure to work with in such words of wisdom, things that are backed by the latest and the greatest science. So please consider going on um, our website or our YouTube channel and the information's on your screen. You can check out the entirety of the interview that we did with Dr. Lemke. I want to go back to wrath here for a second because it frustrates us and concerns us and maybe confuses us a little bit. So I have made mention of this, that the Bible verses that are repeated the most in the Bible by the people who wrote the Bible, like, like we are really in the American church, John 3, 16, like, oh yeah, everybody knows that. Okay. But the people that wrote the Bible, which verse did they know the most? Which one? So it 27 times, at least in the Bible, Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 are the ones that are repeated. And I just want to read those to you. It says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet, and here's the part that we have trouble with. Here's where the wrath comes in. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. What is the deal with wrath? Why are some people said, oh, these people are blessed and these people are cursed and these people have the favor of God, the divine favor of God on them, and these people don't. So here's the thing. This is wisdom literature, the Bible is, and blessing and cursing are cause and effect. So when I follow the ways of God, there is a blessing for doing that. And when I don't follow the ways of God, there is going to be problems. It's a cause and effect thing that happens. So you see that so clearly in the book of Proverbs, which is straight up wisdom, right? It says things like this. You can't take fire into your lap without your clothes getting burned. It says you can't walk on hot coals without your feet getting burned. If everybody talks about working, but nobody is actually working, nothing's going to get done. It's cause and effect. So when I follow the ways of Christ of love and justice, I speak honesty, you know, I I treat my spouse right. I do things like that. Well, things are going to go well. But if I'm lying to my spouse all the time, things are going to go bad. If I smoke cigarettes, if I smoke a pack of cigarettes every day for 50 years, you know what? I'm probably going to have health problems, definitely lung problems. So it's a cause and effect thing. Now, I mentioned just a few moments ago, at least 27 times, the character of God, which Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the first time we get this full display of the character of God. It's repeated about 27 different times in different ways. And one of those ways is Deuteronomy chapter 5. And when it talks about, hey, to the third and the fourth generation, which is really just a Hebrew kind of way of turn a phrase, letting us know this is going to kind of keep going on and on. It clarifies in Deuteronomy chapter 5 by saying, those that who do not follow my ways, in other words, those who hate following my ways, they're going to suffer because they're not following my ways. And here's the thing. We think too often, at least the way I grew up, is that somehow this is going to happen magically. Like if I follow the ways of God, magically everything's going to be great. If I don't follow the ways of God, if I do this or I do that, like, like the favor of God is some type of magic and the cursing of God is some kind of magic that 
great-great-grandchildren are just going to suffer this generational curse. That is not what it's saying. It's a cause and effect. If you follow these ways of God, walking in those wise ways, you will be blessed. If you hate them and don't walk in them, you won't. It's not magic. There was a point in Israel's history, they had the Ark of the Covenant, you know, with the Ten Commandments in it, and they treated it like a magic box. They said, you know, we're getting ready to go to war, let's get the magic box out, and let's just take it out into the battlefield with us, and then we've got to win because we got the magic box. We're not going to follow any God's ways, we're going to ignore God, we're not going to live with justice and righteousness and fairness and all those things that God called them to do. We're just going to take the magic box with us and we're going to win. And what happened? They lost. They lost horribly because it's not magic. Everybody, wrath is a cause and effect thing. When, when I have explosive anger, when, when I allow my lust to run wild, you know, there's going to be a problem. If a person watches porn every single day of their life, they're going to have a brain problem. They are going to mistreat other human beings because they'll begin to dehumanize. It's a cause and effect. It's just that simple. Now, we're in an addiction series, so let me bring it right to addiction. God is not an enabler. I have talked to so many people over the years about addictions. I've talked to family members who've dealt with other family members, and the one thing they say all the time is, it really, really hurts to hold their feet to the fire, to let them experience the consequences But looking back, I enabled them too long and you can't do that. They have to experience the effects of their decisions. God will not enable us to live in destructive ways toward ourselves or toward other people without experiencing the consequences of that. When this series started, the day before it started, we had a family in our church that their son he had been attending Grace, moved back north, and his family began attending Grace and has continued to attend Grace. And here's the sad truth. That young man was addicted. He relapsed into his addiction. And he overdosed the day before this series began. And I met with his parents who were brokenhearted, who were crying. I said, just tell me your story. He said, it was a 10-year battle. And as we look back, you know, we enabled sometimes because it's so hard. And I'm like, oh, I can totally understand that. I can see me being an enabler. Like, because my heart would just get into it too much. But they said, you know what? You can't do it. You you have to allow that person that you love so much. And even though you like, they've got to experience the consequences so that they might turn away from the things that they're doing. And that is the only hope. It's the only hope. Once they finally get to the place, like, I am tired of this. Well, we read a minute ago, God says, you know what? You need to put to death sexual immorality. Do you think it's okay to overlook sexual abuse? I don't, and neither does God, and I guarantee you probably don't either. doesn't matter who's committing the sexual abuse. doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat doesn't matter if they're gay, straight, or trans. doesn't matter anything. God is not going to overlook. He is not okay with it. His wrath is coming, and that is a very, very good thing. Because if we lived in a world where there wasn't any consequences to our despicable behavior towards other people, it would be a worse world to live in than what it is right now. God is saying, I will not enable. I will not allow that to happen. All of the things I read about... 
and the things I'm about ready to read about right now are all quick fixes. They ignore God's ways and they're seeking immediate self-centered gratification. Let's look at this, Colossians 3, 5 to 11. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. And then he talks about a bunch of words that all bring division. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then here we go. He's going to mention all these groups that are at warfare with words with each other and sometimes physically, but they look down terribly. They dehumanize each other. And he says that can happen. Verse 11, here. In Jesus Christ, with Christ's perspective, when your mind is set on the things above, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. What's a barbarian? They considered barbarians kind of like hillbillies, like those are the people who are just so stupid. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Jesus Christ brings us together, that we watch our words, not just with people who share our perspective, but for the people who don't share our perspective. We are we are one with them in Christ, that we love them and are patient with them and don't slander them and don't get angry with them just because they don't share our perspective. Instead, we choose the way of Christ. We don't fall into the ways of human nature that look down and seek to divide. We seek to bring people together. That's the way of Christ. Now Paul describes to us for people who are the chosen people of God should think and they should act. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It is Christ that brings the world together. And it is the ways that are the antithesis to Christ that splits everything apart. Let's go through these words just real briefly. Compassion. Compassion really characterizes the ministry of Jesus Christ because it says he was filled with compassion numerous times. He looked down on a group of people, people who liked him and didn't like him. He looked down on a group of people who would later say, crucify, crucify, crucify. People who didn't share his perspective, people who were his enemies, and he had compassion for them. Do you have compassion for people who share your perspective? Do you have compassion for people who don't? There's the big question. That's what compassion is. Kindness. This word kindness comes from the word charis, which is, which is grace. But there's a mixture here because it's both grace and truth because the word means both grace and integrity. So I can be gracious. Here's what we fight with. We're very gracious to people who share our perspective and we're very truthful or Ah, you know, judgmental to the people who don't share our perspective. You know what I find fascinating? When there's breaking news on, I often go through my news feed and I, I'm looking at the different news channels 
in what's considered big breaking news. And on one news station that leans a certain way, there will be this breaking, oh man, this huge thing happening. So then I'll go to the other side, you know, that leans the other way. It's not even mentioned. So we as human beings, remember we started out by talking about human nature and Paul said, put to death human nature and see things through Christ's perspective. Now we are challenged with this because what Jesus Christ does is he shows kindness. He shows grace to people who, who don't share his perspective and, and, and he's very balanced in his approach. That's what grace is. As John says, Jesus Christ came full of both grace and truth. It's an amazing combination when those two things come together. Can we do that? Next thing it says, says humble. Now the word that's used here means to be humble in mind. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. For those people who are the chosen people of God, are you willing to listen and to learn to both your neighbor and your stranger? The stranger is the person who's nobody like you. Will you listen and learn from those people? Because Jesus Christ listened and was around and fellowship with and ate with and spent time with all types of people. Can you do the same thing and yet walk away? And those people will say, wow. We we just spent time with God. Meek. If you're gentle, it says, you will be meek. You know, in the Beatitudes, this great Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, the meek will inherit the earth. And we immediately say, that's never going to happen. How can the meek, only the power grabbers, because to be meek means that you're not a power grabber. You have to be a power grabber to inherit the earth. And yet today, 2.4 billion people are followers of Jesus Christ. He has the biggest Twitter following of any person on the planet. He has the most influence, the most power. He has inherited the earth more than anybody else through meekness, not through power grabbing. Patience, slow to get angry. The gods that human beings created were quick to get angry. And yet Jesus Christ The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is slow to get angry. Forgiving. You know, when we are unforgiving, we are, we put ourselves in bondage. And then lastly, it says loving. A loving person joins everything together. And that's what Paul says. Love joins all of these virtues together. Now, does Christ's way work? We started by saying this. Is that a subjective statement or an objective statement? Well, science, history, social scientist. What I've tried to do over the past number of months, even before this series started, was introduce to you some of the latest and greatest in science and social science and neurologists. And it confirms that these are the way that being loving and patient and kind and humble makes our life better, makes our brain happier, brings more fulfillment to us, brings more fulfillment to the world. I think what is really clear that this is an objective truth that our world is a better, more peaceful, more loving, more fulfilling place when we are acting in the ways of Jesus Christ. And it is a more divisive, hurtful, meaningless, hopeless place when we are acting contrary. And this is why I've stressed Dr. Lemke, because what she is saying that we have learned from people's brains is that our brains are just more fulfilled and happy when we are pushing into the ways of Christ, not looking for the quick fix, whether it's anger or slander or gossip or sexual lust, those type of things, we end up empty, but Christ's way, we end up full. The latest and the greatest science, what I'm simply trying to say, shows objectively 
that Christ's way is the way that works. Now I want to end with this about talking about does Christ's way actually work? Think about this. They crucified Jesus Christ. When I say they, I mean the, the, the Roman, the mighty Roman army, the power of Rome. Listen, you just don't crucify somebody to kill that person. There's far more involved with that. You're not just trying to kill that person. When it comes to somebody who represents a following, what you're doing is not just killing that person. You're humiliating them and seeking to kill the movement and anybody who would seek to associate themselves. So the mightiest army on the face of the earth at that time who came up with this most cruel way of killing somebody and on public display kills him in this terrible way. You want to kill the whole movement and they set their sights on followers of Jesus Christ, on these few, this little tiny, tiny band of people to completely stamp them out. And then when you go to Rome and you look at the Colosseum, I've been there before. Look at this huge Colosseum where they put hundreds and hundreds of followers of Jesus Christ and ripped them apart and killed them. Now think about this. Within 400 years of that time, Rome became the capital of Christianity. That the way of Christ did work, the way of love did work. Power grabbing didn't work. That was Rome. Actually, the way of meekness worked. The way of Christ worked. It became the capital of Christianity. And if you go to the Colosseum today and you walk in the entrance, you're going to see this huge and mighty cross. The mightiest power on the face of the earth sought to stamp out the way of Jesus Christ. And today, Jesus Christ has brought victory because his way works and it'll work for you. It'll work for all of us. So I'm going to ask here at the end of this series. Would you embrace the obvious truth? Would you set your sights on following after Jesus Christ? Would you make him the number one thing in your life so that you can live a way that not only brings you wholeness, but brings all of those around you through a ripple effect, wholeness in their life as well. And listen, as we do this, we can't ignore the power of the Holy Spirit to get involved with us and to do far more in us and through us than we ever imagined. I think about it sometimes, man, when I react to certain situations, I I react like the Antichrist. I mean, I am so far from Jesus, but I can keep coming to God and say, I want to do this thing. I just find myself not doing this thing. Holy Spirit, would you please help me? And the Holy Spirit throughout the centuries has been doing that for those people who have set their sights on following what is obviously true about this world, that Jesus Christ is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Let's conclude by praying the serenity prayer together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you so much 